to the Strong Life Coach Podcast, where we speak life, coach life, write life, and lead life. Today, I'm joined in the podcast studio by Norma Sepulveda. Norma, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, I'm excited about our conversation. I want people to know a little bit about who you are and a little bit about your background. Norma Sepulveda received her JD from the Thurgood Marshall School of Law and was licensed by the state of Texas in 2010 and licensed in the Southern District of Texas in 2011. Norma also serves on AILA's Southern Border Task Force and serves as AILA's EOIR liaison in South Texas. Norma, what inspired you to become an attorney? Well, it might be a, a typical response, but honestly, just growing up, I and my parents really wanted to have a lawyer in the family, and they would always tell me that I was going to be that person. My parents didn't really um, finish school; they didn't finish they didn't finish middle school. So I was the first person to to graduate from high school, graduate from college, and then move on to to law school. So I really I wanted to I always wanted to be a lawyer, but I just didn't have the finances to do to do it. So I, you know, I, I graduated from, from my, I got my bachelor's, I started teaching and then uh, teaching took me to Houston. And while I was in Houston, I had my first son and I was teaching. I still wanted to practice law, but I just thought, you know, I'm not going to be able to do it because, you know, financially I wasn't going to be able to. And then there was this girl that I was teaching with, which was also a teacher and she had kind of a similar situation, but she had a different background. You know, her parents could afford to take, you know, pay for everything. And mm -hmm. um, she was going to take the steps to take the LSAT, which is of course the test, you know, to be able to go. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to take it just for the fun of it. And just to see what happens since I'm going to, you know, I'll study over a weekend and see what, you know, what comes of this. Wow. And so I did that. And then um, I felt like, well, I guess I could maybe go to law school. And I wanted to be able to show my son at the time that anything was possible, that even if, you know, we have limited resources, that if you tried extra hard, that you could you could do it even at any age. And mm -hmm. so I was in my 30s when I when I decided to go to law school. And I remember um, sitting outside of the parking lot of the school and talking to my husband and saying, you know, do you think I can really do this? And it was his encouragement and him telling me, you know, I'll work extra hard and because uh, I was going to have to leave my teaching job, which we were a two paycheck family to be able to pay all our bills and his encouragement and believing in me and saying that I could do it. I said, well, you know, we'll give it a try. And that's what happened. <laughs> yes. You know, I love the details that you included of your family speaking that over you in this in in and even though they didn't have the education themselves them sharing that dream for you early on you planting those seeds you know cultivating those seeds and then and then with time um allowing those seeds to sprout and then flourish to see where you are now but then also the detail of your husband i think your husband encouraging you um toward your dreams i love hearing about a spouse who is supporting who is encouraging, who is affirming um, the dream of their spouse. I think, that, I think any spouse listening in, I think can, can take that notion and like, be a spouse like that. Like podcast listeners, be a spouse that supports your spouse's dreams. But, but Norma, I, 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 love the, I love the notion, whether it's your, your parents and even of you talking about your husband that way, I think that's such a, a beautiful thing. 
Yeah, I mean, my parents love it. I mean, well, I've, I lost my mom recently, but my dad, mm-hmm. uh, we still have around and he'll tell everybody, anybody he can that his daughter's a lawyer. He's very proud and makes me happy that I can, I can give him that, uh, I guess that opening line when he meets new people about his, you know, his daughter that is a lawyer. He loves it. Mm, I am, I'm sorry to hear about the, the loss of your mom in, in, uh, in, in, in a similar way. I'm, uh, I'm, I rejoice with you about your, your dad and your dad's uh, pride and the joy he has in seeing his, his vision and, or really their vision um, come to fruition and be fulfilled by your hard work, your sacrifice of your, with your family and, and all that you, you put in to get to this place today. It's, it's great. I mean, I, I, that's probably my, my biggest, I guess my biggest accomplishment is to make them proud. And, and that I've been able to do that has, has really um, helped me in very dark days <laughs> to know yeah. that I make them happy. Absolutely. Now for you, sometimes we, we, I hear the story about maybe the three pivotal moments in a lawyer's journey, whether it's getting into law school, graduating law school or passing the bar were any one of those especially significant for you in your journey yeah absolutely passing the bar was huge for me because like i said i had left my job i wasn't your typical student um i was married and i had a son that you know i'd take with me sometimes to school people knew who he was we were Mm -hmm. kind of a small group in in my class anyway and so it was a big huge um, responsibility for me to be able to pass the bar. But at the same time, I really couldn't afford to take so much time off to study like everyone else. So unlike most people, I actually took the bar while I was still in law school, which is not really um, heard of or not very a typical wow. thing to do. But I structured, like I had a plan from the beginning and I'm very plan oriented. So if it's like not on the calendar, it doesn't happen. That started back in law school. So I had a plan that I was going to be able to continue to take classes like in the summer so that I could get ahead and be able to focus on the bar. Um, My last year, my third year in law school, I was able to get into an immigration clinic in order to be able to also study for the bar. So my last semester, I was doing this clinic and I was also working at the district attorney's office and studying for the bar at the same time. So all of these things were happening. And then I got to take a couple of weeks off to really, really focus. And so the fact that I wasn't able to, like most people, when they study for the bar, they, it's their job, you know, eight to five, and that's all they've got to focus on. I still had, you know, my family, I I had um, school, I had classes. And so it was really, really difficult for me to be able to um, take that time. But I felt like I was going to do what I could to make sure that it was all worth it and I didn't you know waste everybody's time or my time and that of course my you know my husband is also depending on me I'm sure he wanted that additional income Mm because the money that I was making at the attorney at the DA's office was not much compared Mm -hmm. to my teacher's salary um so anyhow I ended up taking the bar and I was so nervous at that time I mean I don't know how they do it now but it was like you would you would get, uh, you could go online and refresh to see the list of the people that were, that passed. So mm-hmm. I remember I just kept refreshing, 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 and like, please God, I think I don't, I don't think I've prayed 
as much um, ever like I did mm. that day, hoping that I passed because you come out of there defeated three days and you're like, oh my God, did I pass? Is it, you know, just start thinking about all the things you should have done. Like I should have mm. just not worked and 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 focused and 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 made that sacrifice, but you know, you're you're there. So, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. So once I found out that I passed, oh my God, like the tears, you know, it was just yes. an amazing moment for me. And it was very, very, it was a proud moment for my parents. When I walked across the stage um, from graduating law school, I was Norma Sepulveda Esquire because I was already a full-fledged um. lawyer at the day that I graduated. So I could work the next day. <laughs> wow. No, so. that that is that is quite unique. And I think it speaks to your ability. And, and what I'm hearing from you is your versatility in making it all work. Whether you know whether it was at the DA's office, in school, study for the bar. Yeah, you, you I, I've interviewed about 30 attorneys at this point, and you're the first person who described that kind of experience. <laughs> so um Wow, uh, quite exceptional. Um, and and I think cheers to you for the perseverance through that to get you to where you are today. Thanks, but you know it does take a village. I couldn't have done I couldn't have done it without the support. You know, my family, my friends helped me, my professors that allowed me to bring my kid to to class with me. So it, I definitely know I didn't do it alone. Mm -hmm. Yes. What do you enjoy most about being an attorney? That's kind of, that is a little hard, but I will tell you, I mean, there's a lot of things, but I think the most would be um, the wins. I know that's kind of corny, right? But in immigration, I do deportation defense. So I do a lot of trials in immigration court. And unlike when I do my criminal cases, when I, you know, if I win, that's great. You know, I feel good about it. My clients are happy. Everybody's happy. Um, but with immigration, it's different because the consequences are basically you're, you know, you're banished from the country if you don't win. And so most of my clients in immigration court have gone through a lot to get to where they are. And the fact that they had lived in the shadows their whole life and, and, and being able to win in immigration court and actually obtain residency, the look on their face, the, the joy that they have knowing that they're going to be here and here in the office, we all celebrate when when mm. when somebody wins because it's just you know you these cases can take years. So mm. when we get to that point and it's a win, it's this feeling that I get inside that I just can't describe. And mm. and 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 my I, I'm sure it's even more so for my clients. I wish like I could just bottle it up and sell it because I'd mm. be a millionaire, you know. <laughs> but it's that is like the reason why I still even you know even if it's hard, even if it's means that I have to stay up all night to to learn this new area of law that has changed overnight because that happens a lot in my profession. Mm -hmm. um, I'll do it because I know that there's a whole family, not just one person, but a whole family depending on me. And so that is probably the best part is the wins. Yes, no, I, I, I appreciate that and respect that. Listening to you describe it, I, I imagine the experience you get to deliver is one filled simultaneously with hope, joy, relief, um, vision. I mean, you're, I mean, you're just talking about that moment of victory, uh, what that means um, for, for the, I mean, I think about this beautiful, powerful, dynamic, 
um, fulfillment uh, and, and being a, you being a crucial and pivotal part of facilitating all of that, that joy, that hope, that those dreams coming true. Um, that, that, I, I love hearing about it. It's amazing. And it's definitely a rewarding career. It's not for everyone, but it's definitely, I'm glad I am where I am. One thing that most of, I would say the majority of my clients, they just, you know, consumed with emotion and they cry, we hug right now. We deliver, unfortunately, the news um, this way, you know, right. online or on zoom, but before the pandemic, it was, it was more um, intimate, you know, having that decision and, and those discussions after, but when all of that is over, every single client of mine has always told me the same thing. And it just rings true that it is probably the most important thing for them is that they get to go back to their home country. They get to go see their family. We take advantage here in this country that we have, you know, I have my dad just down the street from me. We have our siblings, we have our family. Uh, and a lot of people that are living undocumented in, here in the United States have to make that sacrifice that they're going to stay here and they're not gonna see their mom, they're not gonna see their dad, their grandparents, people pass away, they're not able to go to those funerals. And it's just, it's very, very difficult for someone to make that decision. Either they're going to stay here for the better of their family, their, their you know, the nuclear family, or are they going to go ahead and go back to their home country knowing that they're never going to come back? So the fact that now they have status and they can go and visit with their mom, see their dad, their grandparents, or their, you know, their siblings, that's always what they're most excited about. And, and that's to me is, is just amazing. You don't have that in any other area of the law. Mm, thank you. Uh, I, I'm saying thank you because what you just explained, I feel like it deepened my empathy. I think it deepened my understanding and my respect um, for not, not just what you do, but even the experience is like uh, you, it made me just, it caught me and made me re realize that there's so much that people are going through that you have no idea. And, and, and when it comes to undocumented, as you described, like with that vivid imagery of, you know, living like in the shadows, you know, um, but there sac part of the sacrifice in being here is not being connected um, the way, as you mentioned, like how we could take advantage for having, you know, my grandparents here in the city. I could visit them whenever I want, you know, how often I want. Um, yeah, I think that's, a, that's such a powerful uh, concept. Um, let me ask you a question within this discussion, because I feel like every immigration attorney that I've interviewed, there's like this, there's this uh, other magic. I don't want to offend any other attorneys that I've interviewed because I've, I've had uh, amazing attorneys in, but there's something else I think with immigrations involved, especially of course, I've been, I primarily probably 90, 95% of my interviews have been with, uh, Latina attorneys, um, so have you noticed something similar with other immigration attorneys? There is this, there's something, there's an extra passion. There's an extra drive. What, what have you noticed in, in meeting other immigration attorneys? Absolutely. I'm very, very fortunate that I have a network of attorneys all across the country, women attorneys that I rely on for support, that I rely on um, to bounce ideas off. And that really are like an army of women 
that are in this fight with me. And I say this fight because the last four years have been very challenging. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's no other area of the law where you're going to find a lawyer that's more passionate about their work. And I might offend other people and I'm sorry, but I just, you know, there's, you're not going to have a bankruptcy attorney, you know, crying about their law, about their loss. Um, I have seen women go through trauma you know, because of the fact that they choose to represent a demographic that has lived traumatic lives, especially with like asylum. Um, we deal with a lot of women that are domestic violence survivors. And it, it this, you know, having to represent individuals and hear these stories um, and not at times being able to help because we, we can only do what we can within the limits of right. the law. That can be very trying on the soul and the heart. And so, yes, absolutely. I can tell you that I, my closest friends, I, I guess you could say, and my colleagues in, in immigration, um, I like to you know say that they're like my sisters in the law, like sister-in-law, mm-hmm. um, are all over the country. And I can pick up the phone and call them and they will understand that feeling that I have yes. when I win. And also when I lose, because I don't, as much as I would love to say that I win them all, I, I don't lose a lot. But when I do, it's very, very, very difficult. And it's hard for other people to understand how that feels because they don't have that relationship with their clients like we do. Yes. So, yes, I totally agree <laughs> with yes. that statement. I'm glad you you uh, articulated that. And I think in a, in a, in a really uh, crisp, in a, in a sharp manner. Um, and I know in the interview, when I'm interviewing somebody who's an immigration attorney, I think what I leave going, I really want to be their friend, you know, like I really want to <laughs> like, I just want to be around them, you know, and, and I find myself and I, and while I, while I, I want to, you know, I want to help everyone, right? I want to like encourage everyone. I want to be a great um, cheerleader to everyone. There are certain people I interact with where I go. Hey, tell me how I can help you, you know, and I, and I find that specifically, like, I, again, I want to have that attitude toward everybody and I try to, but then there's people that like draw it out even more. Like, again, you might call it a calling, but it's like, you know, and I don't, it's that, I don't hear a voice, <laughs> but, but it's like, it's like, it's, it's like that. It's like, Derek, do whatever you can to encourage, help elevate, you know, in this space, which again, I'm just honored to have time with you because I think I pick up on your passion just listening to you speak. Now, tell me, how did you decide to focus on in this area? I know we kind of might have already talked a little bit about it, but how did you decide immigration and criminal defense? So funny thing is, I never envisioned myself as an immigration attorney. You know, when I grew when I was growing up and my parents were like, they wanted, they wanted a lawyer in the family. They used to say that it's because I talk a lot. And that, you know, I guess they didn't want to talk to me um, as much. And so I was like, you know, chatty, chatty kid. And, and, and they would just say, oh, she's going to, she's going to grow up one of these days and put that, you know, mouth of hers to use because <laughs> she talks so much. Right. And so um, I always, and I would grow up watching TV, just like everyone else. I had this like fascination with the law. I would watch all these like law and order type shows. Mm. And I thought I would be a prosecutor. I really did. I want to put the bad guys in jail. And, you know, that was my, I thought was my calling and that I would be good at 
right? And so I went to law school thinking that I was going to come out and be a prosecutor. I even I, I uh, interned uh, as a in the grand jury department. Um, I also worked. Uh, I interned um, as a a student. Uh, student attorney, I guess, if you will, at the district attorney's office in the felony court division. And so I really thought that that's what I was going to do until, of course, all of that changed when I, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I, I was really kind of, it was, it was tough, like financially. And so I did whatever I could to make extra money to help out with our, with the house, with our home. So I um, worked as a research assistant. I made very, very little, but it was some additional money. And I really, really had a good relationship with the professor. It was my federal civil procedure uh, professor. And so she was going to have this death penalty class and she wanted me to take it. And I did not want to take it because I knew it was going to be a lot of writing. And on top of everything else, I was going to have to take this class. And I had no desire to know anything about the death penalty because Mm -hmm. I was for the death penalty, right? So I was, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm from Texas. We own guns and if people come out <laughs> here, we're gonna shoot, yeah, right? I mean, so that's that, that was my, that's the way that I looked at things. So I didn't wanna take it. And she was like, it's not gonna be a lot of writing, Norma. I was like, yes, it is. Cause I know I work for you and I don't wanna do it. And it was summer. And so I said, fine, I'll take it. I fell in love with the class. Like I learned so much and I researched about this kid that had been arrested and had this horrible lawyer and I, you know, followed, followed up on, on, on the case. And I was like, he's going to get exonerated and the innocence project is going to help him. And no, it didn't happen. You know, they, they, you know, unfortunately he got the death penalty and I believed that he was innocent and that really changed things for me. I was like, do I really want to be on the other side? Because yes, there's a lot of prosecutors and they do great work and, 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 and we need them. But what about the people that need help? What about the innocent people that are putting their their trust in attorneys and they need that voice? I wanted to, I wanted, I decided that that's what I wanted to do. And so I kind of, you know, started to think that um, maybe I would work at the DA's office for about a year and I'd get experience and I would get out and then I could be a criminal defense attorney. That was my plan. Mm-hmm. And I told my husband, I said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm already here. They'll hire me. I've been work. I've been here for two years. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to hire me. Um, but it didn't, that didn't work out. <laughs> it didn't work out because there was a hiring freeze in Harris County. So it was like, I graduated and they're like, sorry, we can't hire you because there's a hiring freeze. And so I didn't know what I was going to do. But I had worked at the immigration clinic while I was studying for the bar. And really, honestly, I learned nothing at the immigration clinic because I had one case. It didn't represent the way things are in real life. And I didn't even finish that one case. I was a student and I learned a little bit, but I didn't I didn't really get a I, I wasn't really exposed to what immigration law was. Mm-hmm. So I, I still was not thinking that that's what I was going to do, but it was the only experience that I had aside from the DA's office was the immigration clinic. So I took a job at an immigration firm and I really liked what I was doing. So that really changed things for me. And then I wanted to move down to the Valley because my mom was really sick and my family's here. And I thought I want to be down here in the Valley. So I, I tried a few things, but 
I realized that immigration is where I wanted wanted to be. And so I took a job in immigration. And when and I also applied, I'm not gonna lie, down here in the valley at the DA's office, but by the time they called me, I didn't want the job, I didn't want the job anymore because I love what I was doing in immigration mm-hmm. work. So that's kind of how I fell into into this. Yes, area. yes. You know, I, when I hear your story, it reminds me of this notion. Sometimes, you know, we 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 make our plan, we execute our plan, and that opportunity exactly opens up exactly as we saw it. Other times, we make a plan, and then the door closes, and then another door opens. Oh, okay, well, you know, it's over, it's over here. But then finding something that you love and you're clearly, again, anybody listening can tell you you're clearly passionate and, and in love with what you do and, uh, and the fulfillment you, you receive from it. It, it. I think it's a great reminder to our listeners that, uh, yeah, yeah, yes, I, I, as a coach, as a person of who's pursuing excellence, I believe in plans. I believe in executing your plan. But I also believe in being able to have the maturity to pivot away from your plan when the door closes, because if 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 there's a um if there's a roadblock on the way, sometimes it's yeah to overcome it and keep going somehow some way, but sometimes it's pivot and do something different. But I think, uh, Norma, your your story absolutely illustrates that. Definitely, you always have to be ready for Plan B. And as a mom and a wife and having to wear many hats, you're always you're always ready and you always have a backup plan. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. What has been one challenge you faced as an attorney that you have overcome? There's been a lot of challenges, but I think that the biggest challenge is, of course, the last four years doing immigration. The Trump administration has been very, very damaging to immigrants and also to just my community, you know, our our my area of the law has really been hit. These last four years have been the worst. Like I, I, I just don't even know how to describe it in a, in a better, more eloquent way. Mm-hmm. Immigration law is a very complex area of law. It's probably the hardest area of law, probably maybe second to bankruptcy. It's very difficult to understand. Um, it takes a lot for somebody to feel comfortable. So you need a few years before you feel like, oh, I, can, I think I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I started practicing, I started under Obama. I started in 2010. And things to me were like, hey, I can do this because there was a lot. It was just a totally different uh, dynamic. The the Department of Homeland Security, Immigration Court, there was more, we had a a mutual respect for one another. There was a human um, element in my practice and I didn't know anything different. So more seasoned attorneys would tell me like, you haven't been around, you don't know how easy you have it. And I thought, Mm -hmm. what do you mean? I'm staying up all night, I'm busting my butt trying to work (laughs) for my clients. It's not easy, this is difficult. Mm -hmm. And um, they were right. They were absolutely right. Because the last four years, I was introduced to what is the real, the reality for, for immigrants is that there is, you know, discretion. If there's a component for discretion when it comes to immigration, Um, it's never going to be in our favor these last four years. 
typical things that happened to me this, this, you know, within these last few years is that I would have a strategy that I was going to, if I'm in immigration court, I, I knew how I was going to argue my case and I did everything that I needed to do, submitted the evidence. And I thought 110%, I'm going to win this case because the law is on my side. The day before trial, the law changes because now we have an administration that wants to gut asylum law, that wants to change things. And so overnight, things change and you have to be able to adapt. And, you know, even if you might not get that continuance and what are you going to do? Uh, that has been very difficult. The fact that I have, um, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but down here, um, there was a lot of people applying for asylum and it turned from being able to do that within the United States to having to represent people that were in Matamoros in Mexico. And so that changed, that was very, very challenging for me and um, being able to, to represent people without being able to physically be with them, to prepare mm -hmm. them, um, and then to also listen to this, their stories of their fear, the things that, that were happening to them across while they were waiting to, you know, for their court hearings, it was very, very difficult. So these last four years, I, there was times that I would say when I would go to sleep, I am not going to do this anymore. That's it. I'm done. Mm -hmm. But then I would think, well, what about all the good that I've done these last few years? You know, yes. because there was still a lot of wins. They were a lot harder, but we still won in court. We still, you know, people still became citizens. People still got their green cards. They were able to stay here with their families. And I thought I still need to be their voice, not just in the easy times, but in most importantly, in the difficult times. So I overcame that, but it was not easy. The first, mm -hmm. you know, year or so, it was very, very difficult. And I thought, Maybe I'll just do another, you know, like we talked about, we'll pivot. I'll do something easier, you know, um, but mm -hmm. this is my passion. So I decided that I was going to stick with it. And now I'm super excited for the next four <laughs> years. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I, I recall another interview when I asked this question or a similar question <clears throat> and this other attorney, she became um, an immigration attorney in 2016. So right at the beginning of the Trump administration. And she was, so this is the only thing she's known, right? Since her time being an immigration attorney, but the hope that she's held out over the last four years are exactly what you're talking about. Because everybody who's been in the game for longer had kept telling her, look, this is the hardest and worst it's ever been. And it's going to get better. And this is gonna, this is gonna be one of those seasons where it's about endurance, resilience, perseverance. It's about getting through these four years. And um, again, I'm, I'm not, you know, terribly political. I don't really like, you know, really engage in all of that. But but there's something um, as I listen to again, as, as I catch a special passion from the immigration attorneys that I've interviewed, um, where you see so much of the um, the consequences and the impact of what happens politically in, uh, in your world. And I could see how that can give you an extra reason to have an opinion and to be persuasive in how people view, you know, the political realm. That's absolutely correct. I, I mean, I, as I mentioned before, I, I, I grew up in Texas. I'm from, I'm from here. My family's from here. And so within my own family, We've got people that are on both sides, right? Mm -hmm. And I myself, I've, I've in the past, I voted 
Republican, I voted Democrat. I've never really been a political person. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, would vote for the person. But these last four years have really changed me and have made me take a side and, and, and to, and the reason why is because if you are in immigration, you cannot be, you can't not be political. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Because it affects our every single day. Yes. And unlike other areas of the law where things just go on as normal in immigration, which is extremely odd and that which most people don't know is that immigra the immigration court is under the Department of Justice. So it's not an independent court. So the immigration court is very political. So depending on who's you know, in who's in power at the time or what mm -hmm. administration uh, is controlling is going to determine how things start in court. So as an immigration attorney, it's very difficult because when you walk into court, it's to kind of make, you know, everyone understand here, mm -hmm. it's as if you walk into, like everybody is familiar with the criminal court system. You have the, the you know, the defense attorney, the prosecutor and the judge, and the judge is always a neutral party, doesn't say anything and just sits back and lets the attorneys kind of go at it. Mm -hmm. In immigration court, it's completely different because of the fact that it's like if you have two prosecutors, which is the judge and the prosecutor. So they both work for the government and you're the only one working for your client. So basically it's, you have to argue two parties and the judge also does an examination of the client and ask questions and is not a neutral, unfortunately not a neutral fact finder. I hope no judges are listening to this, <laughs> <laughs> to this. Um, but that's the reality of it. And it's, it's you know, they have, they still have their lawyer hat on. And so, yes, it's, it's, it's something that um, you cannot, you cannot be an immigration attorney and care about your clients and not care about what's going on around us and what's going on in, in our government. And because that's going to impact them directly. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think when it's so direct like that, it, it, I could see how it just calls you forward um, to have a voice, to have an opinion and to really, you know, want to be involved in, in persuading, you know, people around you. Um, right. Of course, I know that could absolutely open up a whole world of other conflict, whether that's online <laughs> or family, but, right. um, but again, you feel it seemingly, I mean, I, I'd imagine more than most careers feel it regarding uh, who's, who's in that, you know, that, in that political, uh, who has the political power. Sure, because when I was teaching, it didn't matter who who was the president or who wasn't. I mean, we were we were talking about it in, in, mm -hmm. in class, but it didn't affect me. It didn't change my life. It didn't do anything for me. I didn't know that there were immigration attorneys that were really, you know, concerned about who's going to be the next president because it was going to impact them until I was one of them. So mm -hmm. uh, definitely, it's. I know a lot of people, especially these last four years, it's become more of a. Um, I don't know. I, it's been very divisive, and 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 people are um, persuaded or m more inclined to go one way or the other for personal personal reasons. Uh, but this is completely different. Uh, completely different reasons. Mm -hmm. Now, what is one common challenge other attorneys face, and what do you think is a great solution to that challenge? I would say the fact that. I have seen a lot of attorneys want to do 
all of it. You know, they want to do it all. And um, I know that when we're in law school, we learn it all and we have to take the bar exam that covers a variety of different areas of the law, but you're never ever going to be good at anything if you're doing all of it. So really specialize in one area and be really, really good at that instead of wanting to do all of it. And I just, and, I, and I'll say, because I have seen it, I'll see people, in, like I mentioned before, immigration court is like a totally different animal. A lot of us try to, you know, sometimes say that they're like kangaroo courts because of things that go on. Um, but you can always see, and you can, you'll always notice that person that doesn't practice immigration um, and that is in court and the way they carry themselves and the things that they say, the things that they do. And you just, you know, it's sometimes I, I have to bite my tongue because I feel like, oh, that's a real disservice to your client because you don't know what you're saying, you don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. These are huge consequences. But if you just focus on what you're good at, then you can just develop that skill and get better. And people will, you know, gravitate towards you. Your clients will, I think that the clients feel more comfortable with me knowing that I am going to, that I specialize in one area. Mm -hmm. instead of I'll do everything for you. You know, I yes. can't, I can't do it all. And I think that that is the biggest challenge that people are, are trying to find out what they're good at um, is one thing, of course. And then once you discover it, being able to really hone in on that skill and even in the specific area, like I do immigration, but I am not going to say that I'm an expert in, in all things immigration. I'm lucky that I've got that network of, of attorneys that mm -hmm. I feel confident that will be able to handle things that I can handle. Yes. So for example, I don't do business immigration and there's, I mean, it seems really cool, like to do visas for um, artists and, and things of that nature, but I know really good attorneys that do do that. And I'm mm -hmm. more than happy to, to refer them out because I just, I don't have the expertise in that. And I think that's where people fail is that they try to do too much and then they never get really good at doing anything at all. Mm, yes. I think the implications of what you just described are far reaching um, marketing perspective from a skills perspective. Um, and I think it's it's and it's a tough lesson and I, and I I know and I I'm, I'll give you I'll give you the coaching and speakers lens of, of it because even when I was transitioning from you know my call center job when I was supervising and coaching in the call center world and then transitioning to my own business I was like yeah well I'm a motivational speaker I'm a coach and then I'm a trainer and like all all three are are different things and uh, again they're similar but they're different. Like there's similarities. And I remember getting that counsel of what you're saying is pick one. People are not going to remember three things about you. People, if you're, if you're focused, people will remember you and one thing about you. But the more you give them to remember about you, the less they'll remember about you. And I think <laughs> you, not, but not, that's just from a branding perspective. But right. then when you talk about skills, like, the skills element of what you're describing in your area of law, I can see how that oh, it's um, multi multiplied. And I, and to that point, I almost cringe when I hear, when I, when I'm on, a, a, I spend you know, a, good, a good amount of time on social media and seeing how, what people are doing. I want to really understand the, the attorney client base. And when I'm seeing those multiple areas of law, because the more areas of law they're focused on, the, the, I know what you just described, which is, the less skilled they are, 
in any one area. The more area, the more things you're doing, the less skilled you are. There are, are rare individuals who can be absolute exceptional in multiple areas of anything in life, um, but much more so in the, in the area of law. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, when you look at doctors and you see that they specialize in different areas and you have respect for them, if you have, um, you know, a problem with uh, your foot, you're going to go to a podiatrist, you're not going mm -hmm. to go to cardiologist. Right. And, you know, your general doctor is going to give you general advice for flu, you know, things like that, but they're not going to be able to treat you, they're not going to be able to do the surgery that you need. And I think as as professionals in any field, we need to kind of model that and, and do what, you know, specialize in one area and be really, really good at that. So we can serve our clients better. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and I know there was fear for, for me in choosing one and even, even choosing a client base. Cause again, my first year, when I, when I finally started getting a, you know, clients under my belt you know, I, Oh, there's a couple of engineers. There's a couple of doctors, a couple, you know, there's an attorney. Oh, there's another attorney. It, like if you look at my client base, I'm like, Oh, like they're kind of all over the place. Yeah, there's a there's some business owners over there. There's a plumber, there's an AC guy. There's a person from you know UPS. But just to your point of um, choosing one and not allowing the fear, because the fear here's what the fear told me at least is do everything because you don't want to lose out on business. That's the fear, right? And it's like, and I imagine it's the exact same thing as an attorney uh, for people who are choosing multiple things. It's like it's either. It's either maybe I, I want to try different things out or, or I think I will lose out on business if I only did one thing, especially for the law firm owners. But tell me your perspective about that. I hear that all the time and it's absolutely false. I, I would say there's a people, the lawyers that take, you know, basically anything that walks in the door is going to be the lawyer that you don't want in your corner. That's just, that's, that's the truth because if I need if I need a service as an attorney, I can do a lot of things. I know how to do lots of things. I can write a will. I can um, I can I can uh, file your divorce. I can, there's so many things that I can do. And if it's something that is minor, that is is just you know that I can handle, that it's not going to impact your life and it's going to save you money. And we have the relationship where I'm going to tell you, hey, I've never done this, but if you want me to do it, I'll do it, but I'm not making you any promises. I'm just trying to help you out. And it's usually a friend or some kind of pro bono service. I'll do it. But if, sorry, okay. <laughs> I got that a phone call. Um, but if it's going to be something that is going to have an impact, then I definitely am going to, re to refer that out. And you're not going to lose money. When you're going to lose money, when you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> because the first thing that's going to happen is that you're going to mess up. You're going to look like a fool. And that person's going to go tell their friends and their friends are going to go tell their friends. And especially in a small community, your reputation is all you have. Once you lose it, you can't get it back. So mm -hmm. if you focus on one area and you're really good at it, people are going to want you to represent them because they're going to have 
the best chance at success because that's not what we want. We want the best chance at success. We can't make any guarantees, but you want to go to the best, right? And so you're never going to be that if you're taking everything on. And it might be difficult. It is scary um, at first, but once you see that you can that you can do it and you stick with it, then you will be a better person, a better advocate, a better lawyer for it in the end. Yes. All our business owners listening in, this is one of those tips you take down, you you implement it. I began, I'm only three months into implementing what, what you just <laughs> said, because I said, all right, my branding from a branding perspective, I'm, I'm, it's attorneys, it's Latina attorneys. And uh, and even if, even if the doctors don't want to work with me anymore because they see my branding, although they have still continue to work with me, um, but just I, I love what you're saying. And, and I, I know we're running short on time. So I want to ask you one final question. And I also want to invite you back for a second episode we could do at a time of, of both of our when our when our schedules aligned. Um, but we didn't get to most of our questions, um, which is completely okay with me. But tell me your favorite qualities of your favorite people. Sure. And we probably didn't get to it because I talked too much. You see, my parents were right. I just, I, <laughs> that's why. But my favorite qualities of, I guess, if I had to choose, is really my clients, my undocumented clients. They have something that is just admirable. You, I, I meet individuals. You got to think about it. They have no work authorization. They're here in the United States. They have no family, no support. They only have maybe their spouse and their children and they have to make it. We have everything as Americans. We have everything. We have free education. We have um, the ability to, 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 you know, reach our dreams. The American dream is in our, you know, it's, it's, if you work hard, you can get there. Mm-hmm. Even undocumented people, they can work hard all day and they're only going to be able to do what they can do without those resources. And so the fact that I see my undocumented clients owning businesses and killing it, not taking any kind of benefit you know, from the government, sending their kids to schools, private schools, and being able to be successful in a country where competition is difficult <laughs> to to be able to compete when you do not have the same resources when you can't go to the bank and get a business loan because you have no social security so you have to work you have to wait tables you have to bartend you have to sell plates you got to do what you can mm-hmm. to save money to open that little business and when that business takes off and now you're a successful um, business owner with multiple businesses to me those are the qualities that I admire the most work ethic, resilience, mm-hmm. and perseverance. You know, those things you're going to, to find with undocumented folks that are successful. It's just amazing what they can what they can do. Imagine giving them the ability to have the things that we can do, you know, like apply for a business loan, mm-hmm. even just having a social security card to be able to get a line of credit what they could do. And so that's probably, I guess those are the best qualities that I find in individuals and I happen to find them in the undocumented population. I love it. I love the way it's all tied together for you. Um, the resilience, the, uh, um, the work ethic and, uh, and the, I, I even heard innovation in there, even what you described is using whatever you have. And then, uh, right. 
Anyway, um, your passion is clear. Uh, Nordma, thank you so much for spending some time with me on the podcast episode. Thank you for having me. I really do appreciate it. All right, podcast listeners, this episode is sponsored by Strong Life Scholars, whose mission is empowering Latinas with law student scholarships, undergraduate scholarships, community impact guidance, professional mentorships, and professional skills training. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. You are our precious listeners. Go over to the pod, the Apple Podcast app. Give us the five-star review. Remember to subscribe, and we'll connect with you on the next episode. Thank you.